All right, welcome back. I guess you probably haven't been gone that long. So if, if anything looks different, it's because I was gone for a little bit. Uh, I had a little baby girl uh, right in the middle of filming all of this. So uh, I had to take a little bit of a break. I was trying to get it all done before it happened, but can't can't always uh, plan everything. So uh, we're, we're back into it and we're going to get into section three, which is getting close. So section one, you know, it's preseason stuff. Section two is finding elk, being super aggressive and, and trying to locate elk. Uh, that's what we're trying to hunt. Section three is going to be pretty long. And, you know, this is catered towards archery elk hunting. Uh, a lot of the frameworks that we're going to talk about, though, are applicable to every hunt. And we've kind of been over that a little bit. Uh, but in section three, you know, I want to kind of go through a bunch of tactics uh, for becoming a more consistent hunter. Some of these things are going to be applicable to you and some of them aren't. Um, this is my system for getting close. And I, I think it's a really good start for you. But, you know, you're going to tweak that to your hunting style. You're going to tweak that to your area and things like that. And I'll talk about that a little bit. But these are kind of like this is my my system. And there's some really, really important frameworks. And then there's uh, some some tactic things. And if you guys aren't into those tactic things, that's fine. Uh, but I'm giving you kind of like, OK, here's here's four or five tactics that you can take and apply. And, and I think you can find what works for you, what doesn't, um, but we're going to dive into it. And, you know, this entire section is about, you know, how do we get close to elk, right? Get within range, get in that red zone. And first and foremost, I want to talk about being an apex predator and what that means. So if, if elk, if 101, the entry level is taking one skill and learning it and learning to master it, then in my opinion, you know, 201 is being able to implement multiple tactics uh, in multiple situations. So if calling works, sometimes that's great. But so many of you, you show up, I'm guilty of this too, you show up to a hunt and you know the elk aren't talking or you know there's too much pressure or it's too hot you know the they're just not moving they're not as active they're not responsive to calls and things like that so we need to have the ability to have other tactics up our sleeves you know uh there's, there's times where I need in, in construction, there's times where you need a hammer, there's times where you need a saw, there's times where you need a finish hammer, and there's times where you need a sledgehammer. So being able to understand, okay, what what tactic or what tool can I pull from my tool chest to make this work? You know, that to me is the apex predator, someone who can hunt them, still hunt them in the dark timber, right? If they're not talking, someone who can spot and stock open country, someone who can dog a herd for four miles, like that to me is like, that's an apex predator. And I think, you know, being able to utilize all those tools are, is going to make you a better hunter. And realistically, the, the hardest part about that is trying to figure out what tool to use when. And we're going to talk about that and kind of like my frameworks for deciding when to call, when to not call, you know, should I be doing this or should I not be doing this? And I think for a long time, people just taught like, okay, here's your tactic. And you just hammer that tactic and, and cover as many miles as you can until you find an elk that follows that tactic. And that, that, that's okay. It, you know, it, it can be effective. I think it's becoming less effective in today's day and age because, you know, everyone's been taught like, oh yeah, this is what I do. And I just cover ground until it works. Well, the problem is there's so many more people hunting that, you know, it's not like the old days where I could just go scream at elk. And if I bumped, you know, 10 herds in a row, that was fine because there was always another herd over the next ridge. And I think, you know, for me, it's like as, as I get older and I get a little more mature in my hunting, it's like, okay, what tactic is going to work on this herd in this situation? And this time, you know, all the, all the, all the pieces, right? And so that's what we're going to talk about being an apex spreader, having multiple tools in the tool chest.
All right, let's talk about striking distance. And I don't hear a lot of people talk about this term, uh, but I know that almost all of the, the great elk hunters have some version of this, right? And I think it becomes very, very important uh, in archery hunting, but also in rifle hunting. I use this all the time as well. And this term of striking distance, it, like what what is striking distance? And just like it implies, like I want to be within striking distance. I want to be close enough that I can make something happen if that elk makes a mistake or, you know, if, if the, if the, the wind changes or, or whatever it may be. And so when I think about striking distance, it's like, okay, let's assume I spot some elk and, or maybe I even locate them, but I, I find some elk and they're a half mile away or, uh, you know, maybe a mile away. I'm like, well, the wind's wrong. So like whatever, or let's just see where they go. Uh, a lot of times I'll move into what I call striking distance. And, and so for me, it's like, okay, maybe that's, you know, 500 yards, maybe it's a hundred yards. I want to be close enough that if, when this situation develops, I can make a move. I, so many times I've been on, on a ridge and seen elk and be like, okay, let's let this play out a little bit, see what they're going to do, see where they're going to go. And been watching them. And all of a sudden you're like, man, if I was there right now, I could totally kill that bull. Uh, and that's what striking distance is. is like being close enough to be able to strike when a situation happens. Uh, this, if you're super into calling, that I used to do this in Idaho all the time. You know, I'd locate a bull where elk would be going crazy in the morning. And I was like, okay, you know, I'll slip down in there in the morning when it gets daylight. And by the time you get there, you know, yeah, it was chaos right after daylight, but 20 minutes after daylight, they would shut up and kind of move up and I'd lose track of them. And so for me, striking distance in that thick country was like, if there's chaos going on all night, I want to be as close as I can when it turns daylight. So I'm within striking distance. So by the time, you know, they're headed to bed, I'm, I can already make a move and I can slip in there. And so like being within striking distance, it can apply to spot and stock, super open country. It can be, you know, really thick country. And it, it just is like, okay, if that elk makes a mistake, I want to be close enough that I can capitalize on that. But I also need to be far enough away that if something like the wind swirls or one of those, you know, some freak situation, like I can still not interrupt the situation. And sometimes this means like being just far enough where I can still see, like say a spot in stock, uh, maybe I, like the wind's not right, but I'm, I want to be close. That way, if they start to move, I can follow them because if I'm a mile away, it's going to be hard to catch up and I won't know where they went. So like just ha understanding that striking distance. So here's how uh, a lot of times in today's day and age, I use it. It's like, okay, I find elk right at daylight. I don't necessarily want to make a play on those elk right then because I know they're going to move or whatever. I may move, you know, two ridges closer and try to say like, okay, I'm in striking distance. You know, if the wind levels out midday, then I'm here. And this has been huge for me because I, I've had situations where, you know, mid morning, those elk get up and move again. And it's like, if I was a mile away, I wouldn't be able to keep up with them. So for me, it's like staying close enough that I can attack if the right situation plays out but also far enough that I'm not going to spook them. And I use striking distance constantly. I'm always getting in striking distance. All right, when to call and when to shut up. I feel like this is a very controversial topic, uh, but I'm going to try to give my, I don't know, framework on the whole thing. And it feels like there's two camps. You know, there's camp call. That's the only way to elk hunt because it's the only fun thing to do. And then it's like camp, everyone needs to shut up, uh, you know, calling doesn't work. And these seem to be two extremes, which, you know, I grew up 
calling. That's all we did. I grew up in or hunting Oregon Roosevelt's and calling was the game. And, you know, that's just what we grew up doing. And it was a lot of fun. And, you know, I've, I've also spent a lot of time hunting open country and learning, you know, what doesn't work. And so I see both camps. Uh, I've been on both sides of this and, and I see both camps. And so for me, I've kind of developed a when to call and when not to. And when I actually started hunting open country, I went into it thinking, okay, I want to learn how to hunt open country so that I can have both skill sets. And I think that's kind of important. And understanding when to do one and when to, when to do the other or when to not call is really important. So for me, it boils down to, and I think the simplest way to think about it is visibility. And this is where I think a lot of people make mistakes is they go and they try to call these open country elk and the elk can see. They're, they're used to seeing uh, whatever's calling at them. And so, you know, there's not a lot of elk in those countries and, and they should be able to see something. And so they get hesitant. And I think we're in an era where there's so many people calling that elk tend to kind of want to see something before they come barreling in, right? So the number one thing that that makes or helps me decide whether I should be calling or not calling is my hundred yard rule. And like, there's, there's a little bit of leeway here, but for the most part, you know, can I see a hundred yards or can I not? And you know, it, there's individual situations where, yeah, this country's super open, but I can't see a hundred yards. You can probably get away with calling in there. Um, but if, if I would say like, if there's an area where the majority of the area, I can see a hundred plus yards, those elk are probably used to seeing something before they go tromping in there. Right. Um, and there's certain situations where maybe there's a pocket and I could do some calling or I catch an elk in, a, in the right pocket and I'm open to calling. But by and large, if I can see 100 to two, 300 yards in most of the country, then those elk are going to want to see something before they come tromping in. Now, I found that decoys work really good in that in that open country because it kind of like they want to see something, they see something, right? And, and a lot of times in, in very open country, you know, or areas that have limited numbers of elk, like if they see an elk, they're definitely coming in, right? So if they see that decoy, that can help. But I kind of use the 100 yard rule as a framework to say like, okay, is the majority of the area I'm hunting have more than 100 yards of visibility? If so, then I will rely less on calling or I will pinch myself into those tighter pockets uh, and try to only call in those pockets. Whereas, you know, if I if I can't see uh, over 100 yards or, or maybe 150 in a lot of like this timbery area, like if I'm in an area that's very timbery, I'm like, OK, I'm pretty I'm pretty comfortable calling here because I know that an elk's going to have to get within 50, 60 yards to be able to see me anyway. So that makes sense in that situation. So I use the hundred yard rule as like a when to call, when to not, when to not call. That's kind of my, my framework. Number one, the second framework to when to call and when to not call is I, I feel like we all, we want to make that situation develop. Like we're trying to force a situation. And so many times I was on the fence, like, should I call? Should I not call? And I, I just, I, my natural instinct was like, I got to call, right? Like I want to call. And I always wanted to call to try to develop the situation, to try to rush the situation. And so I kind of came to the framework of asking myself one question. And it's, I mean, it's a pretty simple question, but it's like, is the situation moving in my favor or away from my favor? And if it's moving in my favor currently, 
then or is is a net zero, then I don't call. If the situation is developing out of my favor, then I might use a call, right? And so like it's as simple as that. Say you're close to a herd, you haven't said anything or you haven't said anything in a while and you're you're kind of just man, I'm close like I I just got to let the situation develop and see what happens. A lot of times I will not call. If the if the situation still has a chance to go in my favor, Without me saying anything, I'm going to lean towards that because I know that my brain is wanting to develop the situation faster. And so it's trying to like, I should call, I should call, I should call. And I I think if you say, okay, the elk aren't exactly moving the way I want to, or they're moving away, or like the situation is developing away from my opportunity. And then it's like, okay, would a call help the situation? And a lot of times, yeah, then I will use a simple cow call. It's like, okay, I think I can you know, cow call and get away with it. And so that simple question is like, help me, you know, every time I'm in that situation where is it developing in my favor or out of my favor, then I will decide if I should use a call or not use a call. And we'll get into like kind of just a few systems that I use for calls, but that's like my overarching framework for when to call, when not to call. And I I hope this helps you guys. Like it took me years and years and years to develop this. And I, I would say there's a lot of people who lean towards just shut up and you'll kill more elk. Um, I I feel like I also believe that I could probably call any elk uh, if the day was right, right? There, there's a particular day where that bull is going to be going crazy. Uh, and so I, I can I can do both, but I found that oftentimes shutting up, especially with just in today's day and era where we have so many people calling, I do feel like leaning towards not calling is better. Another another thing to think about is if multiple elk are talking, I do not call. Like I don't need to. There's no no necessary. It's not improving the situation, right? Uh, unless I'm trying to kill a satellite, and we'll get into like that last little ten percent or whatever. For the most part, if elk are talking, I let them talk. And I've interviewed pretty much every elk hunter. I've done a ton of interviews, and I, I think that you find the same thing. If elk are talking, let them talk. Try to capitalize on that. Uh, let's move towards them and and not hold ourselves up or, or or get ourselves you know caught in a in a dead end of trying to call an elk and then being stuck. Where it's like I'm gonna let that situation. I'm just gonna move towards them. Elk are talking. Let them talk. I'm gonna get closer. I'm gonna get closer. And we'll get into the 90-10 rule, but like that in that 90%, like I'm trying to get more towards them and then maybe I'll call them the 10%. But there's no reason to me for me to be following a herd when there's six bulls screaming their face off. Like it's just not going to do anything. So I might as well just not give my position away until I really need to move that, that elk, that last 10%. So we'll get into the 90-10 rule, but essentially it's like, if there's a lot of elk talking, let them talk, move, let the situation develop. You know, and I think that's, if you really want to be a 201 level hunter, you have to learn to let the situation develop. That's probably the biggest advice I can give is like, stop trying to force situations. You have to let the situation develop. You can move with them and be close, be within that striking distance, but you need to let the situation develop and let it come to you. Uh, And we'll get into that. So in the next section. All right. The art of aggression and patience. This is, uh, this is one that took me 20 years to learn. I don't know if I've even learned it completely yet. Uh, within elk hunting, you hear a lot of people say you need to be more aggressive. You need to be more aggressive. And I do think that is mostly true. Um, I think you spend a lot of time being too timid. Elk are intimidating animals, right? And, and the situations can be, you know, like, oh, I, I just got to let this figure it out. 
And I feel like you'll find a lot more success being aggressive, but there's a balance, right? And some of the best elk hunters in the world, man, they can really balance aggression and patience. And that can be so hard to try to just figure out when to do what, right? And so I want to break this down into what I call, it's, there's a 90-10 rule, but we're going to break it down to a 90 and a 9 and a 1. And and this is the difference. This is a, a framework to try to understand when to be aggressive and when to be patient. And I think this this will help a lot of you guys kind of wrap your head around when you need to push harder and when you need to like be patient and let things develop. And so for me, you know, 90% of the time, I'm way more aggressive than most hunters. But what I'm aggressive at is that step two where I'm trying to find elk. I'm going so hard. Uh, I'm just, I'm finding elk that I will be the most aggressive on because I need to get that done. Like that is, this is not a wait for elk to just magically show up in my lap. I'm going to go find them. I'm going to be very, very aggressive. And that's like 90% of the time. I I would say 90% of getting close is being very aggressive. Like you have to move with herds. You have to get in there. You have to like not worry about making noise because at the end of the day, you need to get close to that herd of elk and elk move really quickly. You know, they're hard to, they just, they're hard to keep up with. And, and so you're, I am very, very aggressive, even at keeping up with elk. Uh, but when it comes to, okay, when, when do I be patient? Like, how do I know when to be patient? And I would say like it's an it's it's the other 10% of the time is being patient and realistically it's about 9%. You know it's waiting for the the right opportunity. When I knew I knew I had to be aggressive and I was like okay be more aggressive. Everyone says be more aggressive and you charge in there like a bull in a china shop and everything goes running, right? And you do that five or six times and maybe one goes right. But in today's day and age it's kind of like we're going back to that like I I need to be able to capitalize on fewer opportunities because the there just isn't there's more people in the woods and there's more variables out there right and elk just move a little bit differently than they did 20 years ago um so i need to be pretty selective about when i'm being aggressive in that last one percent so to me that nine percent is like waiting until this the situation develops right making sure the situation's right they're in the right spot the wind is right uh the mood is right i know that sounds cheesy but you know i'm being super patient and i've learned this you know ryan lampers is uh a great example of this. That guy goes so hard and he'll go miles and miles in, but he's very, very patient about when he makes his attack. He'll watch an animal for days if he has to, before then he makes that 1% aggressive attack on it. And I think that's a, that's a good kind of proxy to go by is the 99-1 rule, which is go super hard. You got to find elk to hunt them, right? And, and you got to find multiple elk because you might screw this up, but be selective and be patient in the attacks you make, right? Like don't just go after every single opportunity, wait for that opportunity to unfold and show itself to you. And then on that be aggressive 1%, like a lot of times uh, I like to say, you know, you want the elk to come to you, best case scenario, but there's sometimes you got to make a shot happen. And a good example is like, I'll go super hard at following an elk back to his bed, right? 
I'm just trying to keep up whatever I got to do to keep up with this herd of elk. And then I'm going to wait, like I'm going to back up and say, oh man, the wind's kind of bad right where they're at. It's chaos, whatever. Uh, but maybe I can, I'll use a lost calf, right? I'll use that lost calf and that bull is going to come back to me. So that's 90 and 10, right? So, or 90 and nine. So that 9%, that elk comes into me because I hit that lost calf and all of a sudden, you know, the timing falls apart and he just stops behind a tree or whatever. So I'm going to come to full draw and I'm going to lean over that tree and I'm like maybe I walk around the tree at full draw and that's a good example of I went hard 90 aggressive I used patience called the elk back to me use the 90 10 rule and then use the one percent of like okay I gotta make this shot happen uh or maybe you know the elk's just not right there it's just stopped just over the hill so I gotta go to full draw and kind of just I gotta force that last one percent right and so that's kind of the 90 uh nine one rule and and I, I you kind of heard me mention the the 90 10 rule <laughs> like there's a I think the best analogy for this is like in the in the movie Hitch, uh, Will Smith talks about the 90-10 rule for kissing, right? Like if you want to kiss a girl, you got to go 90 and let her come 10. And this is so true for elk hunting in whether it's spot and stock, whether it's dogging a herd, whether it's any like calling, like it all boils down to a 90-10 rule, which is like you got to go hard at 90 and the the best option is for them to come back 10, right? Like them to come to you because when you're moving on a dog or your dog in a herd, right? You got to get within say 50 yards of that cow. But if you try to force it and get to bow range of the bull, who's on the other side of the herd, you're going to bump the whole situation. So you got to just get yourself in proxy and hope that bull comes around to you. Same within calling, right? You got to do 90% of the work to get close to that elk. And then you're going to call him back 10%. And the upside of that is like when they're coming to you, it gives you a lot more possibilities or opportunities, right? Uh, and so this this becomes very true for all aspects uh, when it comes to archery elk hunting. It's like let, letting that elk come to you, that 10% is really going to give you way more shot opportunities because now the elk is in your playing field, right? And you're not forcing it. Like if you just called all the way into that bull, the bull's going to be looking for you and all of a sudden it's going to see human, not elk and bust, right? And so I, I like to say it's the 90-10 rule. You move 90, let them move the last 10. And I found it to be very true uh, for spot and stock. And a, a good example of this, you know, a lot of times if I can, I love to just stalk into a herd midday, right? And so let's watch a herd bed and I'm going to wait until the, the wind gets right. I'm going to go 90 and I'm going to get within 60 yards of a cow. And I know that if I get within 60 yards of that cow, that bull is eventually going to come check that cow. You know, as long as the wind's good and everything falls in my favor, I don't have to move at all. And I'm going to wait. I'm going to be super patient and let that situation unfold. And the bull's going to make his rounds. You know, maybe it's an hour, maybe it's five hours, who knows? But eventually that bull is going to go check cows or he's going to get up or, or the situation's going to develop. And Later, we'll talk about dogging a herd, but it's very similar. It's like, I'll just get within that 50 yards of the herd, and I just got to hope that the bull comes to me. And I, you know, like, I just have to do that multiple times and hope that that bull pulls that 10%. And man, this is like such good framework for everything. And when it comes to archery elk hunting for rifle, you know, you can usually force the situation a little bit more because you're getting a hundred percent into range, right? But with the archery, you're in such a close proximity and so many things can go wrong in that last little bit that it's, it's really helpful to just focus like, okay, I got to do 90 and let him do 10. And I have to have the patience to let that situation develop. 
Okay, so I wanna dive into my bag of tricks, if you will, when it comes to calling. And like I said, I grew up challenge bugle only or covering ground, all that, you know, the old school way, right? But as I develop my own system, and now that I've hunted very open country, I've hunted dense timber, you know, no matter where I go, these are kind of the three techniques that I have honed in after, I don't know, 20 plus years of elk hunting. And these are kind of the three that that are in my bag of tricks. You know, it's like I, I may pull one out and I'll kind of go over when I use one versus the other. Uh, but by and large, like these are pretty much the only three I use at this, at this point, um, when it comes to elk hunting. Now, would I, would they be different if it was Montana versus say, I don't know, Colorado versus Idaho slightly, but not a lot, like very little change. And I know, uh, people are like, oh, well, this doesn't work here. This doesn't work there. Maybe, I don't know. Um, this is pretty much my go-to system. Uh, whether I go clear to New Mexico, uh, a couple years ago I was hunting the Gila, and versus, say, open country in Montana up in the breaks, uh, or Idaho in the thick jungle. These would be my three go-tos. And, and I'm gonna give you these. If they work for you, uh, great. But, you know, it's like, it's good to not say, okay, there's a million options I could do, but I don't know what to do. Uh, and I think people kind of default back to, to what they know. That's fine. If you like one of these, great. If you don't, great. I'm going to give you the three that I use. And, and then when you're in that situation, you could maybe default. I, I think it's important back to this entire framework, if you will, of creating a system for elk hunting is like, okay, you're in the heat of battle what do I do? Uh, I don't know. And you tend to freeze up where if you have a limited but accessible number of options, you say, okay, should I employ this play, this play, or this play? You know, these are my core plays, like, right? Like, this is what I should do uh, in this situation. And and for me, like, these are my three core plays. Like, man, this I could run these plays and I know one of them is going to work. And these are kind of the three I fall back to. So, and I would say, it's going to depend, right? Uh, but I'll talk a little bit about that. So it, within my three plays, like the Mimic Follow Rake, this has kind of been my go-to for years. And I I haven't used it as much the last couple of years. I think this is a phenomenal tactic for your average, you know, six point, if you will. Like I'll, I'll, this will kill a lot of six points. Uh, I tend to not use as much uh, anymore because I tend to go for bigger herd bulls. But this, if I was say, say like you need one tactic up your sleeve that, you know, you want to kill a six point every single year. Like if you kind of laid this game plan, you know, back to the one-on-one, like if you laid out this game plan and did enough, it would, it would definitely work. Uh, the mimic follow rake, uh, and I'll kind of go over it and then I'll talk about when to use it. So, uh, number one, I would say a morning routine like this is from daylight to, to noon when those elk are kind of moving back to their bed. Maybe you got a whole herd moving, but I tend to just go with a mimic like a bugle. Um, once I get a bull located, I get with, you know, within proximity, I'm just going to mimic that bull. I'm going to mimic his, uh, his, how fiery he is, like his passion, right? Like if he's kind of half-ass bugling, I'm going to half-ass bugle. And if he's screaming, I'm going to scream. And I just mimic, mimic, mimic. And I relate this when I was, when I was a youngster, my dad was teaching me about steelhead fishing. 
And when we fished winter steelhead, we fished, you know, spinners. And he would throw a spinner. He's like, you got to throw that spinner in front of that steelhead enough times that he makes him want to bite out of pure aggression. And I, I use this tactic on elk is like, I would just mimic and follow, mimic and follow. I'll follow a bull, mimic him, and just keep pushing him, right? And if long as he keeps talking, the game works. If he shuts up, it kind of gets difficult. But a lot of times I find that if an elk shuts up, he's still right there and I'll just keep going, keep going. I'll keep hitting him. And I, I just assume he hasn't moved. And a lot of times he hasn't. And so I'll just keep mimicking. The only time I will try to adjust that is like, if I try to take it up one notch, right? I'll take the intensity up a little bit. And oftentimes, you know, he'll follow that. And if he doesn't, I'll go back to mimicking and then I'll like do two or three and I'll, I'll, you know, bring it up a notch. And what this does is I'm kind of just, I'm torturing him, right? I'm just testing him. I'm testing his boundaries, testing his boundaries. And a lot of times, you know, they'll get a little bit fired up. They'll get a little bit fired up. They're definitely still moving away from you, but you know, he's going to wherever they're going. Uh, this works really well in bachelor herds where you got a group of bachelor bulls, you know, maybe they're just outside of a herd and they're still talkative. It's that, you know, I don't know, 9am, 8am, 7am, whatever it is. And you just follow in that herd, you're dogging them. And once I start raking, it's like, okay, I'll start raking and then I'll follow mimic, follow rake, rake, rake. And I'm just kind of just pushing this bull. And a lot of times what happens is he'll start raking and I can hear it. And I'm like, okay, it's game on. And this is like, I don't know how I've, I've run this playbook. I don't know how many times and I love it. It's one of my favorites. It's a lot of fun, you know, get that bull raking. And once I get that bull raking, I, I pretty much know, like I got him on the hook. And so as a solo hunter, this is a really great tactic because what happens is that rake gives me the ability to make a move you know, it goes that 1% to get aggressive. And so I will mimic, follow and rake until I can get him to start raking. Once I get him to start raking, I can be fairly aggressive. A lot of times I will try to get, I'm going to say within 150 yards and I will just start raking like crazy back to the visual cues. If I can get him to see that tree raking, he'll probably start raking and, you know, then I can, I know I can move. So when they're raking, their eyes are in the tree, they're stuck in there, you know, like they're just not attuned to the world. And I wouldn't go, you know, what, what, here's what happens is bull starts raking and he looks, bull starts raking and he looks. But once I get him and we're both raking, you know, we're in that, like, I'm not testing his ground. We're kind of like, we're, we're got our own space, right? But he's going to start raking. And when he really starts getting into raking, he is blind to the world. And I can pretty much walk up to 40 yards and take a shot. Uh, and I use this, I've used this tactic for years. I love it. It's one of my favorites. Uh, it's, I wouldn't say it's flawless, but like, I would say it works the majority of time for me on those average six point bulls, right? If you got a herd, maybe this isn't the best tactic. I've definitely done it with herd and herds and had herd bulls come back to me just cause I was raking. But generally speaking, it's like when they get to wherever they were going to bed, if I can stay up with them and that bull stays talking, I've had bulls come back. Uh, but a lot of times like this will work really good on those satellites that are kind of just moving up to bed and they'll come investigate and they'll, they'll love to rub time of year. I found this to work Basically, from the start of season, even I would say in August, like if you can get a, a hard horned satellite bull, this will work clear up to the end of season on satellite bulls. If you're targeting like, hey, satellite bulls will work great. This is a great tactic. And a lot of times you have a herd bull and you have three or four great six points that I'm sure most people would love to kill. And this is a great tactic. If you have a lot of, you know, just 
elk around in the area because that raking is going to just, you know, it's going to bring them in, going to get curious. They're going to come look. And if I can get a bull raking as a solo hunter, this is, is this paramount is if I can get him raking, then I can make the move and get the shot. The mimic follow rake is kind of my go-to if I'm in that timber area and I'm just, you know, wanting to kill a satellite bull. Uh, it probably wouldn't be my top priority if I was only going for herd bulls, but I also wouldn't rule it out. It's a good tool to have up my sleeve. All right. So the next one is the lost calf. And I got to give, I got to give credit to Joel Turner. I did a podcast with him years ago. He was talking about the lost calf and, and anyone who's uh, not heard of Joel Turner, check him out. Uh, I love the lost calf and it's something that I put in my toolbox a few years ago. And I've, I've actually found really good success with it. I, I think a lot of that stems from, you know, everyone's out there bugling and I'll cure a lot of bugles. And so the lost calf is kind of just something different in the toolbox that, you know, it's a very non-aggressive. It's not going to spook elk. You know, bulls aren't intimidated to answer another bull. And, and so they'll, they'll answer. So it works really, really great as a locate, you know, being able to locate elk that normally wouldn't talk to you. And I've, you know, I've heard Joel say like, oh yeah, if they don't answer this, uh, you know, I keep moving on. And I think there's some truth to that. In, in my opinion, I think there's probably still elk that don't answer it. Um, and to his point, maybe you just don't want to hunt them. Uh, but I'll, I use it a little bit different and I'll kind of go through mine, but like the lost calf works in a lot of situations. It works as a locate, works to slip in on a herd, you know, works with satellite bulls. It works all across the board and it's a very well-rounded call to have in your toolbox. Uh, but for me, I'm, you know, just here's kind of how I use it. So the, the biggest situation that I, the, the most predominant situation that I would use a lost calf is if I'm following a herd and we're in thick timber and maybe the elk shut up or there's a little bit of chaos uh, or I just lose track of them, I utilize the lost calf as a way to, to kind of keep up with the herd. And I think that the lost calf works best in times of chaos, right? So if elk are bedded, it's late afternoon and, and they've kind of been laying there all day, I, I wouldn't pull the lost calf because... In that situation, I feel like, okay, they're going to be on edge if I if I just go with a lost calf right out the gate. They kind of know the situation. Back up to when to use it. And it's like if those elk are moving through timber and there's a little bit of chaos, there's multiple bulls bugling, uh, you, you get that there could have been a lost calf in that. So you get a little bit more response out of it. You'll get satellites that come in, you'll get cows that answer you back. And it's a great way to kind of relocate that herd that you're trying to move with, right? So for me, it's like, man, moving from say feeding back to bed, if I can try to slip up in there, uh, you can hit the lost calf for say, uh, getting a bull to come over to you. You can get it to keep up with the herd, all these things. So like for me, it's a, it's, it's a great tool to utilize when I need it. It's not my go-to by any stretch, but I found a lot of success with it. Uh, another, you know, another time to not use it going back to the call, not call is super open country. Uh, I've just found that, you know, elk want to see and you've pulled a lost calf they still want to see the lost calf so if you're in really open country i tend to not use it as much unless i have say a decoy or something along those lines but for me it's a great tool to have uh for dog and a herd for keeping up with the herd uh trying to locate a herd uh, maybe i went missing i know there are herds in here somewhere uh, and you could also use it in a situation where you're in a, a timber in a bed bedding area of timber and you can kind of set up and use that lost calf a lot of times you'll have bulls come come looking right and even those 
bigger bulls will come looking for lost calf. So does it work early season? Absolutely. Does it work late season? Absolutely. I think it's a really great tool to have in the toolbox. Uh, there's not a ton of times I wouldn't use it other than, you know, I would lean away from using it when an, the elk are kind of content and in their element. Uh, they know what's around them. They know what's going on. I would avoid it, but you know, it could work. It could work in that situation. I tend to just lean towards, you know, is it, is it, is it bettering the situation? Is it getting closer or farther away? You know, let's let the situation develop and maybe I'll wait till the evening elk are moving. They get a little more talkative. You know, that's a time where a lost calf scenario makes a little more sense in reality. So next is blind setups. And man, this is one of those things I've done for years. I think this is probably the most common setup, uh, but I think it kind of gets, it gets overlooked in an age where everyone wants to bugle and, and call in the screaming bull where, you know, the blind setups in the right situation are fantastic. And I go back into the 90-10 rule and say, like, if I'm doing a blind setup, I've already done 90% of the work and I'm looking for that 10% to come to me. So I still, to this day, will utilize blind setups if, say, a herd moves into some, some heavy timber. I know there's good bulls in there. I I'm slip in as close as I can. The wind's right. And I may utilize a blind setup. So really, I love this play as an early season. You know, you got elk bedding on north slope and they're just kind of hanging out a lot of times midday they're going to get up and, and kind of just be moving around within uh you know within that timber patch and this is a, a time where you can kind of just do a blind setup and maybe on the edge of it get an elk to come to you right if you're just looking for a six point this is a great option you know get into one of those timber patches with a lot of elk sign and there's probably multiple bulls in there and you know they'll be able to come into the come over to you. There's a couple different plays within the blind setup. You know, there's a blind cow call. I think, you know, the classic, like they're going to set up and, you know, do a 30 to 45 minute cow call session or a lost calf session. And you could switch that and say like a raking, you know, raking something that not a ton of people are doing. It's fairly passive. Uh, it's not really threatening, but in the, in the elk world, it is kind of saying like, Hey, I'm in your space and I'm testing your space. So I actually love using raking. I'll get on the edge of a bedding area and just start raking and raking and raking uh, and looking for that bull to come in silent. So this is one of those setups I like to have in the toolbox. It's a great midday tactic too. And we'll talk a little bit about midday tactics, but just setting up where I know some elk are, I'm not going to pressure them. I'm not going to go in there screaming my face off midday, but you know, in that first say. I don't know, the first through the 10th, even, you know, get in there, start raking. If I know there's a good bull in the area, it's, it's kind of a great way to like, if he comes to me that that may work out, but if not, I haven't screwed up this situation. You know, I'm not, I'm not pushing elk out of the country. I'm just like, okay, I'm going to test it. And if it works, it works. Now I can slip out and, and try again later, maybe figure out what they're doing. And so I, I love this tactic is kind of just having in the toolbox, right? Uh, a good example of a situation hypothetically, you know, if I find elk at daylight, can't keep up with them. I try to get within striking distance. I know they went somewhere in here, right? In this timber patch, but I don't know exactly where. So uh, maybe I bugle from across the ridge and no answer, no answer. You know, I still, it's like, okay, I could wait till evening uh, and, and make that attack, or I could slip in right to the edge of their bedding area and set up and try to do some raking uh, and maybe like get a bull to come over and investigate. 
But if not, now I can back out and still hunt the evening. So now I've given myself two opportunities that day. I go and blind call for a little bit, maybe spend, you know, two or three hours in the afternoon, just raking for 30 minutes, stopping, raking for 30 minutes, stopping and doing that kind of like, okay, I'm just seeing if anything develops. If not, I haven't ruined the situation. So I've only tried to bring that bull 10% to me, but if not, I haven't hurt the situation. So, you know, doing blind setups to me is a, is a great way to kind of increase your odds, uh, midday, uh, even in the afternoon, any of those times where it's like, okay, I'm not going to hurt this situation. So having that technique up my sleeve, uh, I, I've definitely used it. Some of the greatest advice I can give you if you really want to call and I'm not saying calling doesn't work. I'm not saying go away from calling. I'm saying having these tools in your toolkit is really important. But I think the overall thing that if I could teach you about calling is that curiosity kills far more cats than being a, you know, being a, than calling all the way in. So it goes back to the 90-10 rule. And if we talk about 90-10, like how do we get them to come 10%? And I mean, probably a lot of people know this, but there's like the four yard thing where if you call an elk knows where you are within four yards, so walk right up and look within four yards, right? And they can pinpoint you. And a lot of times as solo hunters, you get pinned down because you make a call, bull comes around the corner and he's looking right at you. You don't, you can't draw, right? You're like, ah, dang it. So remembering that they can, they know within four yards of where you are is really, really important. So how do you get around it? And I think the best way to get around that is to let curiosity kill the cat. And man, I've had so many bulls come in and I really, really wanted to say something or bugle one more time to get them to come in. Uh, but if I can just let them start looking for me, I've had far more shots develop and give me that 10% from letting curiosity kill the cat by not saying anything, right? If I know like they're within bow range, but I just can't see him yet. Oftentimes I won't say a dang thing because I know he's going to start looking for me. He's going to wonder where I went, what happened. And I let curiosity bring me that shot. And if I could give you one advice about calling, when it comes to calling, let curiosity, kill the cat, let them look for you. Don't bring them all the way in, in, right? Like let them come and start looking, right? And again, I'll go back to raking and then I'll just go silent. If I can move 10 yards or whatever, great. And I'll, I'll let that bull start looking for me because when he's looking for me, now it's not him coming in and me making a cow call and trying to get that shot. That'll work. But a lot of times, I mean, we all been there where he stops in the wrong spot or it's just not perfect. And so if I can let him mosey in and start looking for me, you know, he may stop and all of a sudden he can't see me. So he like moves a little bit and he's trying to find me, right? Well, I'm going to have a lot more shot opportunities there. So when it comes to calling, just remember, remember, like let curiosity kill the cat, let him come to you, let him look for you more importantly. Uh, and, and I've had a lot of success with that. Again, it's back to the balancing aggression and patience. Like you got to let that situation develop, let him give you the shot. Um, did, I remember watching an old Wayne Carlton video years and years ago, and he was hunting Roosevelt's actually know the drainage he was hunting in. Um, but the bull came in and he was talking about like, you know, he could have tried to cow call and maybe got a shot, but if you just wait, just wait, usually he'll let him develop. Right. So the, what happened was the bull came in and the bull just naturally stopped and was kind of looking and, and Wayne didn't have a shot. And so you're like, what do you do? You want to, you know, call and see if he'll move a little bit. No, like let, let curiosity kill the cat. 
And all of a sudden he's like barks, right? And it's like, oh no, it's over. Well, the bull barks and and pretty soon he like starts moving around because he's looking for this, looking for Wayne, right? And like let that situation develop and it's, it goes against your urge to want to like stop him or make a call or do something. But so many times I've just not said a word and those bulls are just curiosity will kill them because they just start looking around, they're moving and they're like, where did that elk go? And, and oftentimes you're like, okay, I didn't have a shot because he was behind that tree. But if I don't say anything, he's going to keep looking for me. He's going to go and he's going to move around a little bit. Uh, and oftentimes that shot will develop in its own. So food for thought again, you know, I like having the ability to call. I think it's a great thing to have. I like having tools in the toolbox to make things happen. And calling also is fun. I mean, and it works to be honest. Like if you just want to kill six points, it really does work. I think it's just a balance of knowing when to call and when not to call, knowing when to make that situation happen and when to like wait for a better opportunity, you know, waiting for that herd to be in the right spot, to be in the the place, you know, and I think I went a lot of years trying to just force it 24 seven. And as you get older, you realize like, oh man, this situation, I could go call and it would work perfectly. Uh, I don't think, honestly, there's great calling techniques for early season, clear through the end of season. Does calling work better in the prime rut? Absolutely. Uh, but ironically, I find myself calling less in the peak of rut because the elk are doing the talking for me. I don't need to. I can go slip in and dog that herd, and I'm I know that there's enough chaos going on that that's I'm gonna get an opportunity, and I'm usually gonna get an opportunity to great bull, and I'm not gonna push him right. So if I have a herd and I can hunt this herd for multiple days, I'm gonna get an opportunity, and so I actually lean on calling either late or early, mainly early which is kind of counterproductive to everyone else, right? Everyone else is bugling and peak rut. And to me, it's like if peak rut, yeah, I might get bulls talking or try to use a locate, but for the most part, if elk are talking, I'm going to let them talk. I'm going to just kind of slip in and try to do, try to get close and try to see if the situation develops into my favor. And so, I mean, it works throughout the season, start to finish. Uh, those three tactics. Yeah. You know, I would say they, they all work kind of start to finish. I don't think there's a time where they don't work. So just kind of find your three. And I don't even necessarily say those are the three you have to do. If you have a, a system or a tactic that works for you, great, you know, use that. I think it's good to have a system that works early season, mid season to late season. It's great to have something that's going to work in open country versus thick because on every single hunt I've ever been on, I've gotten into situations where it's like, that's, I can't just pull the, you know, challenge bugle out and it's going to work every time. And I think in today's day and age, it's getting harder to find enough elk to make that work. So you need to have, you know, multiple tools in the tool chest, be able to pull that out when those are going to work and, and be able to kind of just move on those elk or make it happen. Right. So that's my, those are the three that I use. I hope it helps you. Um, but yeah, uh, let curiosity kill the cat. That's, that's probably the best one. Okay. Let's talk midday tactics. And this goes back into, if you want to be a 201 hunter, if you want to be consistent year after year, you know, go taking that step from going and trying to call in the morning and the evening and not hunting the midday, you know, taking it off to being able to hunt all day is to me, like one of the most important things. So a lot of times I think what happens is people, they don't know what to do in the middle of the day, or they're like, I'll just wait till this evening. And I'm gonna go through a few things like this is kind of my playbook of, okay, what am I doing 
should I be doing something different or can I be doing something better, you know, and and attacking or, or what am I doing midday utilizing those hours? So it's like, you want to be an apex predator. You want to be, uh, consistently killing, like you got to be hunting all day. Now there's all a few exceptions to this rule where, you know, say I have a target bull and I'm after that bull. I may wait and try to capitalize on that in the evening. You know, that's a time where like being more patient versus aggressive is going to be more beneficial. But when it comes to like midday tactics, <clears throat> I try to say, okay, let's play it safe. And if it works out, it works out. I'm, I'm putting myself in a position to be successful, but I'm not going to screw anything up. Uh, or if I, if I can't do that, if I'm really like, you know what, let's just stay out of there, then how am I benefiting? Like, how am I finding more elk? And I think this is one of the things that I utilize that I think a ton of people go back to camp, hang out and whatever, wait. Like if I can try to find more elk, even if I have a target bull, I'm going and finding elk in the middle of the day. Uh, whether it's over a ridge into a different drainage, say I'm backpacked in or something, like I'm looking for new elk. I'm, I'm trying to figure out something new. I'm trying to learn new data to help me benefit uh, a different situation, right? And and this is just something like, these are the kind of the four things that I do. Uh, and, you know, starting off, I mean, the simple one is to sit on water or sit on a wallow. This could be for a target bull. There's a bull in your area like, hey, let's sit water. We're not doing anything else. If we're going to take a nap, we might as well take a nap in a place we might kill something. And I think that people, most people get a little bit lazy. So maybe you're guilty of getting a little bit lazy. Like, let's just go back to camp, uh, have a sandwich, take a nap. We'll hit it again this evening. Like if, you, if you're out there and especially if you only have that five or a week, five days or a week, like you need to be working your face off all day. You know, maybe you could sit water and if you want to take a break or take a rest, like maybe that's a good way to like, just, Hey, I'm in the area and maybe something will I'll come of it. Uh, another one is like, okay, do I have the ability to call some elk off or, uh, do I have a ability to slip into a bedding area and see if I can make something happen? You know, we talk about doing blind setups. Uh, and I think that's a, that's a really good way to utilize a midday tactic. Like, man, a lot of big bulls get up and you're actually more likely to kill a big bull midday because he's not battling all these other satellites, right? And so maybe he'll either go to water or maybe you can just get a bull to come off of his herd to come check out your lost calf, you know, something, what can you do midday? And a lot of that is like, okay, I'm just utilizing the time I have. The next one is, do I make an attack? Is this a midday attack? Now, whether it's calling or just putting yourself in a spot in stock, midday is a great time because the wind is good. You don't have thermals moving up and down. You got more predictable winds. So most people are going to do a spot in stock. Like they're going to get up. They're going to try to push in midday, right? The wind is good. And so <clears throat> I look at it as like, if I have the opportunity, I would love to make an attack midday. I think that is a great time. Even if I say, say the bull's bedded in some thick timber, you know, I may slip in there and try to make an attack midday if I think he's real hot and he's, uh, you know, that's the day that I, I think I can call him off that herd midday or at least get him raking. Uh, that's a great option. But I think the biggest utilization of time is going back to a step two. If I don't have anything going on that day, or I'm waiting for, you know, a herd to, to do something different or whatever it may be. I'm spending my midday trying to find new data. Even if it's not elk, I may go check water holes. I may go check wallows. I may go look at and see if there's a new spring in a, uh, a spring that maybe has some water in it. I'm looking for tracks. I'm doing everything I can. I'm, I'm really going back to 
to step two, and I'm midday covering ground looking for new elk. I have I have found a ton of elk midday cruising around, like even just going ridges and glassing some some pockets to see if I can pick out elk. Like this is just putting yourself to work. Like if we're out there, we might as well be working. And I honestly think that trying to find new elk is a great way. Even if you have elk, you're like, oh man, I got two herds I can hunt right now. Instead of not doing anything, go try to you know cover ground. Uh, try to find new data, right? Like new, new sign, new, whatever. Like maybe it's a rub, uh, maybe locate an elk, you know, maybe throw out some locate beagles, but I'm spending my entire day looking for elk or I'm making a move. I'm trying to kill an elk that I'm on, right? Like I am trying to capitalize on that limited time I have by spending. And that's like, to me is like, man, you want to be 201? You want to be an apex predator? You want to be consistently killing elk every single year? Like hunt all day, spend your days. But do it smart. Don't just run around screaming your face off and trying to challenge Beagle in the middle of the day because a lot of times that's not going to work. It can work. It can be a great tactic. But try to use different tactics. Try to cover ground. Try to find new elk. That's a great way to utilize your midday. All right, let's, uh, let's dive into dogging a herd. And in my opinion, this is probably one of the greatest skills in elk hunting. Uh, it's a lost art, if you will. There's very few people that talk about it. Uh, there's very p- few people that do it well. I think we live in an era where a lot of people just try to go call elk in, right? I've learned more from dogging herds of elk, following herds of elk, than I have calling elk uh, by far and large. Like I, I learned so much about elk behavior, uh, body language, all these things, just by trying to be within that herd and moving in it. So I, this is to me one of the greatest skills you can learn and it's something that's going to take some practice you're going to have to figure it out but it will teach you more about elk than anything else you could call in a hundred bulls and i don't think you'd learn as much as if you just kind of followed two or three herds of elk for a while uh man you learn a lot so i do think that's it's a great skill and i think most people kind of overlook it so what is dogging a herd, right? And I don't know if this is the technical term, it's the term I use, so we're going to go with it. But dogging a herd is essentially, you know, following or paralleling a herd as it moves from bedding to feed or feed to bedding, right? So you're, you're trying to keep up with that herd, you know, how an elk, they elk kind of just move through the timber and, and, you know, sometimes there's bulls screaming all around them and, and sometimes it's just, you know, they're lined out and a bull's chasing cows up the mountain, right? So you trying to, stay with that herd is dogging the herd, right? And so when do I use it? When when is this applicable? When when should I use it and when should I not? So if a good a good thing way to think about this is like if uh, a herd of elk is bedding in an area where the wind is terrible, right? And this man, this happens more often than not. Those, those elk know that they bed in this area, the wind's the wind's nice and swirly, just the way they like it. Uh, so it can be really hard to get in on those elk. Uh, you know, the, the vegetation, if it's super noisy, it can be really hard to put a stock in on those those elk, right? Uh, and once they you know get up, maybe they're not moving until you know right at dark, and they're just going right to their feed and and going really quickly. And so the only time you have is kind of on their way back from wherever they're feeding at night to where they're bedding. And this is where it's like if you can get in and get in range and kind of stay with that herd, this can be a great, great tactic to kind of get an opportunity in elk that otherwise you wouldn't. And there's definitely an art to it. So we're going to go through a little bit of tips and tactics. When would I not use this? A lot of times, 
you know, it's it's fun to want to stay with the herd. But a lot of times, if they're going to bed in a spot where I may be able to approach that herd later, then then there's no real reason in me trying to take the risk of being right there in the herd as they move. If I can watch them from far away and watch them go somewhere, right? Even if I kind of know where they're going, and I'm like, man, once the thermals line out, I can still make an attack there it's probably a better option to wait until a different time, right? Or if, if, if I know where they're coming back to feed every day and that's an opportunity where maybe I can get, just get in front of them, right? And be there. Then that's another reason I was like, well, maybe I shouldn't dog this herd. And because there's a lot of risks, right? Like it's pretty tough. It's easy to get caught. Uh, you can easily get picked off, you know, trying to move with the herd. But I think anytime you have chaos, in the herd, there's lots of bulls bugling, there's an opportunity for you to be within that chaos and get a shot opportunity. If there's a situation, say, where it's only one one bull and he's moving a herd of cows, that can be pretty tough because it doesn't have the same amount of chaos, right? If there's only eight cows and one bull, it's going to be tough because it's you're so close to everything. I still would consider doing it, but I think it really benefits when you have you know, a herd of 50 or a herd of 25 and you have a couple different bulls trying to snag cows off. There's a lot of chaos. And within that chaos gives you the opportunity to kind of slip in or at least just be within range and make something happen. So, man, that's that's kind of like the times I would use it, the times I wouldn't. Uh, and let's, let's talk a little bit about some of the, the nuance within it. And so when I think about when you think about dog in a herd. I want you to think about it as this giant game of red light, green light. And I know that sounds like childish, but this is the best way to explain it. Because uh, when you're moving with that herd, there's definitely times where you just have to freeze and like you can't move, right? Like cows looking at you and maybe they move. You can get away with a lot, but you still can't get away with everything. And so this is the one thing is like, I just think of it as a game as red light, green light. And one like little pro tip you can do is if you find one cow, like the cow that's, cow that's closest to you and you move in and every time she's looking at you, you're froze, right? And then every time she puts her head down, and starts walking, you start moving. And so like, that's the game of red light, green light It's essentially you're just trying to move like parallel at best or, or best case scenario or behind him. But you're watching that one cow and you're playing a game of red light, green light. And so every time they're moving, you're moving. Every time they stop, you have to stop. And this is that game of red light, green light, where you just got to keep keeping up, keep up. When it comes to the angle, this is something that's really, it's easy to say on paper, but the reality is, is once you get there, it's really tough. So paralleling versus uh, following. Naturally, a herd is moving through the timber, wherever it may be, and you're going to struggle with your tiny little legs to keep up with this herd of elk. So eventually what happens is you kind of just fall behind them, right? And you start to follow. The problem with following is that there's always a cow, a single cow that's going to be looking back. She's looking, following her back trail. She's looking for a movement back there, right? And so I really, really try to force myself to parallel that herd. And it's so, it's easier said than done because those elk like to turn or move or whatever. And so I'm truly trying to stay off the back of that herd at a 45 because I, it's less of a danger zone. Think about your car, like when you have a blind spot, right? You want to stay in that blind spot of that herd. And so that's where I try to be. But sometimes you end up coming up too far forward or, you know, whatever it may be. But best case scenario, I will try to stay in the blind spot. The other thing I like to do is try to 
if I can, best predict which direction they're going to go so that the herd may swing into me. So if hypothetically, if I'm like, I think they're going to go up and to the right, I'm going to basically be in that blind spot on the right hand side. And I'm going to try to stay in that blind spot and move with them because best case scenario, you know, they hold up a little bit and they just kind of swing right into me. That would be sweet. Um, but that's like, you know, if you could, if you could have it best base case scenario, try to like move it a, a little bit of a parallel versus follow, uh, easier said than done. But I think when you get a little bit of practice, you start doing it, you're trying to predict where they're going to go. Uh, that's where you can stay in that parallel mode. <laughs> Next, we have what I call the 50-yard rule. So when you're dogging a herd, uh, we're playing red light, green light, and we're picking out that one cow. It's going to be tough because that bull is often in the back, but not always, right? He's going to be moving around. He's chasing other elk. Preferably, we're in a chaos situation, so there's multiple bulls, and and elk kind of get spread out. But I will try to get, my goal is to get within 50 yards of the herd. Like that's my goal. And once I get there, I, I'm close enough, right? Like I'm, I'm waiting for my situation. So it goes back to that 90-10 rule. I'm going to dog that herd. I'm doing 90% of the work, but I'm putting myself in that position and I'm letting that herd do the work for me or that bull do the work for me. And I'm just hoping that he comes by. This, this is, you know, this is going to give you far more opportunities than trying to go or move up into, you know, like maybe the bulls kind of towards the front. So I'm just going to like sneak by these elk. I mean, oftentimes you're going to get picked off trying to play that game. So for me, it's like, if I put myself within 50 yards of that herd enough times, I'll probably get an opportunity. And like that just has come true far more often than not. What happens is, you know, bulls are running around. It's chaos, right? You know, you really think you should be here. But that's what's going to get you picked off. So I play the 50-yard rule for me. It's like I get to 50 yards within the cows, and if the bull gives me an opportunity, great. If he doesn't, fine. That's okay. You know. And there may be some exception to that rule where I force it. I go back to that 1%, and I'm like, he's right there. All I got to do is like move up a little bit. You know, that's a, that's a situation that you have to play by ear, and you might have to force that 1%. But I would say, you know, most of the time I'm moving 90, I'm holding and I'm going to let that bull come 10% to me. If he doesn't, fine, I'll do it again. And it goes kind of into the next part of it, which is like, once you follow some herds, you get to understand a cadence. So what happens is as elk are, are moving back to their bed, they tend to get strung out and then tighten back up, strung out and tighten back up, strung out and tighten back up. And if you watch for this cadence, you can start to understand like, okay, they're getting pretty close to where they're going to bunch up. And what's happening is they kind of get strung out a little bit and then they'll, they'll want to bring themselves back together, right? So none of them are getting lost. So that lead cow is going to just wait and let the rest of the herd catch up and then she's going to go. And when you know that, when you know that cadence is coming or you can kind of predict it, you can really set yourself up to be like, okay, I know once they, once they get about this far, they've gone this long, they're going to like hold up a little bit. And that's usually my time to catch up. And usually that's when a little bit more chaos happens, right? Those elk bunch up a little bit and all of a sudden the bull, the satellites are kind of coming into the herd and they're trying to do their thing. And that's when I'm like, I need to be there. And so a lot of times I can force that situation and it's like, okay, I'm dogging the herd. I see that cow and I can kind of see them start to bunch up. I know I really got to get in position because there's going to be a moment where they're all kind of in that little group and there's going to be a little bit of chaos because every time they bunch up, those bulls are, you know, those satellites are going to try to come in. Right. And like, man, if you can be there in the right time, you're setting yourself up 
for that opportunity just by being in proximity. And so a lot of times as I'm dogging that herd, I know I got to catch up. You know, if I, you know, maybe a cow gets way behind and she starts going, like I got to push a little bit harder because I know that cadence is coming where that cow is going to try to bunch up the herd and get, catch back up and then go again. And so I just try to follow that and like understand that the cadence is coming. I try to play the 50% rule. Best case scenario, I'm at a 45 to their blind spot. And, you know, it's just a game of red light, green light after that. And I put myself within 50 yards of that herd enough times, and I should. Not always, but I should get an opportunity at either the herd bull or, you know, one of these satellites that's running off. And I think the the thing you got to, like, push down inside of you is your urge to want to call in that situation. You know, you like see a satellite over here and it's like, don't give up your position because I found that if I even let out, you know, a a cow call, right. It's pretty non-aggressive and I'm trying to get one of those satellites over that cow is the, whatever cows in the back, you know, she's going to be looking for me now. And she's like, okay, there's a cow behind me. And the last thing I want is to tee her up and have her start looking for someone. You know, she's looking for that lost calf behind her and she can't see it. She's moving with the herd, but she knows, you know, something's up. And so, man, for me, I would just as soon follow that herd, stay parallel, play red light, green light, get within 50 yards and try to just let something come to me. And if you do that enough, do that enough, right? If you're going to pull the lost calf, I really think that as you're dogging that herd, it's not the time. The best time is when they kind of get to their bedding area, right? So they get in that bedding area, they're going to mull around a little bit, and that's a good time to pull the lost calf. And you're like, okay, how do you know when they're to their bedding area? Well, most often it's about the time they start shutting up, right? It's a lot of chaos, a lot of chaos. And what I've found is that her bull is going to stop talking about the time he gets to where he wants to get, right? And things are going to go quiet. There's still going to be some satellites talking, but I know they're kind of in that area. And if I can just keep following in the direction the herd went, you know, try to figure out pinpoint where they are, then, you know, maybe I could pull like a lost calf to pull in a uh, to satellite bull or, you know, at least just kind of be in that area where that herd bull is because he'll go quiet they'll start to mill around. They'll mill around for a little bit. He's still checking cows. He's still, you know, he's on high alert. And so he's still going to be doing circles. And I really think that's a good time to like, okay, that cadence came together and this is where they're going to be. Like as long as the wind's okay and it's not swirling, I should be able to just be in proximity and that bull is going to come around. Right. So that's a great time. Um, it's a great time. But the other thing is like, you have to wash those cows because they're on high alert. They're looking around, right? They're like, okay, is it all safe? Did anything follow us home? So, be on the lookout and like, don't, don't push it because you'll get that cow that picks you off. So, I mean, when it comes to dogging the herd, I think this, again, it's the greatest skill you can have when it comes to elk hunting, because it gives you the ability to kill elk when nothing else is working, right? You can follow that herd. And if you can really, truly follow a herd when they're dead silent, that is, that is a true skill set. And, you know, being able to just stay with that herd and kind of like predict where they're going to go and, and, and play that red light, green light with that back cow, you know, eventually that, that bull's going to come around. And I've had this where bulls are completely silent, not a word. And you're following those out back and you know, you got to stay with them because if, uh, if you lose sight of them, you're not going to be able to hear them or they're not going to say anything. So you got to stay with that herd. And, and a lot of times that bull still, he's still doing his thing. He's still checking cows. He's still making his rounds. He's just not talking because for whatever reason, either human pressure or he's got, you know, 
a bigger bull in the area maybe, uh, or just satellites he's staying away from. And a lot of times if he's by himself, he's not going to pipe off and say, Hey, I got a bunch of cows over here that are hot. Like come over here. <laughs> a lot of times you have that bull is just going to be quiet. So another great time to, to kind of practice your dog in the herd. So give it a try. I hope it works for you guys. Hope, hope those tips help you at least. <laughs> All right, let's recap the entire step three, which is getting close to elk. You know, what do we need to know? What do we need to remember, more importantly? I think there's some really good frameworks around when to be aggressive, when to be patient, when to be selective, uh, and when to make it happen, right? So remember those, uh, those frameworks back from the early part of this. But overall, you know, it's, it sounds simple, but all you have to do is get, you need to get close. You need to put yourself in proximity to elk and, and in doing so you need to choose that a little bit wisely and make sure you're capitalizing on the right opportunities. But at the end of the day, you just got to be close to elk and how are we going to do it? So develop your own system, right? Figure out what works for you. Find three or four tap tactics that are going to work and have that playbook, right? Don't overthink it. There's a million things you could do. In fact, there's, you know, an endless number of people out there telling you do this, no, do this, no, do this. In my opinion, you should develop a system, have three to five tactics that you're like, okay, here's my options and make those work for you. That's going to make you more successful than only implementing one tactic, but also not confuse you with endless possibilities of what you could be doing. So find a system that works for you, develop it, right? Uh, the other thing is have options. I, I love to have options and this is kind of more of a uh, step two, finding elk, but even within step three of getting close, you need to have more options. You should be spending, you know, utilizing your time wisely, finding more elk. It's like, go, go do step three, go back to step two, repeat step two. Get close, build a system, and I think over overall, when it comes to getting close, remember the 90-10 rule. Get 90% there, let them come 10%. Let, let the situation develop, and you're going to have a lot more opportunities in trying to force every single situation and make it happen, make it happen. I get that you want to push harder and hunt harder than everyone but sometimes hunting harder means being more patient and waiting for that opportunity to develop and come to you, giving you a better opportunity and something that you're going to be more successful at, right? Like if I have two options and one's a 5% chance of it working out or maybe a 50%, I'm going to take the 50%. I'm going to be more successful in the long run if I play my odds and capitalize on more 50% success options than if I try to just Hail Mary every single one and then go look for Ryan Alex. So hopefully that helps you. Remember the 90-10 rule. Be aggressive. Be patient. Learn to balance the two and find the tactic that works for you. I don't care if it's calling, it's dog in the herd, it's sitting water, wherever it may be, you know, figure out what works for you and have a couple different options.